Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Kylie Camps, owner of the Kind Parenting Company, wife proud mum of twin boys and happiness advocate. This podcast is a place for women who want more from life. It's your time to cultivate more self-care, compassion, happiness, love, and confidence. Let's have real conversations to help you feel better, choose better, and live your best life. Christy, thanks so much for carving out some time today. I really, really appreciate you sitting down with us and sharing some tips for our community. Before we dive in, I'm super fascinated with your title of digital and wellbeing researcher. I love that you're so clearly passionate, but I would also love to know a little bit more about you in terms of your career and how you came to be so invested in the effects of the digital world on our generation and also the next. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And I will be totally honest and say I fell into this work purely by accident. Um, I wish I had a really fancy career trajectory mapped out, but I had been a teacher um, for 14 years and then I became an academic looking at the impact of technology on young children. And then I experienced what I now call life's greatest equaliser and I became a parent for the first time. And <laughs> Um, my son, I had very naive expectations of motherhood. Um, I was going to cook Pinterest-worthy dinners and scrapbook. And then my first son came along and I know why they now call it life's greatest equaliser. And he had, um, he, this is important for this story, not, um, this is not how I sort of date his chronological age, but he was born six months after the first iPad came out. So we'd been to our paediatrician for the six-month developmental check, got the all clear, but I was the A-type nervous first-time mum and thought the paediatrician might have missed something. So I took my son back to our local healthcare clinic nurse to repeat the six-month check. Now... My poor second son completely forgot his six-month check altogether and the <laughs> son I he think, yeah. talking to you going, oh, he's probably about three months overdue for his <laughs> six-month check. <laughs> but I'm but sure he's fine. <laughs> totally fine. Totally fine. That mother's guilt has completely eroded now by number three. Um, okay. But the first son, I did it twice. So I sat down with a local healthcare clinic nurse and she asked all the regular questions you'd expect at six months. Was he having tummy time? Was he babbling? Had he started solids? And then she turned and asked me what screen time he was having. And as a researcher and someone who had expertise in this area I thought this is good you know we're starting to have health professionals ask about this and I said well he's not having any he's six months of age and she leaned a little closer and she did the what Maggie Dent calls the skippy sound the and wagged her finger at me and she said Christy Christy he's going to fall behind he really should be um, watching Baby Einstein DVDs and learning colors shapes and numbers on the iPad at six months of age no I don't truly I almost fell off my seat. Uh, true. I get goosebumps every time I share this story. And, look, I'd foolishly taken the 9 o'clock appointment and every mum knows, you you know, there's a reason 9 o'clock appointments are available because no one takes them, especially with a newborn baby. Um, so I hadn't been caffeinated and was so sleep-deprived I couldn't come up with a coherent response. And 
I, you know, I questioned her a little more. I said, you know, can you explain? And she proceeded to tell me that technology was an integral part of young children's lives and that he should have been tapping, swiping and pinching at the ripe old age of six months. And I honestly thought it was a candid camera moment. I thought I'm being set up. Someone's checking that I, you know, walk my talk um, when it comes to kids and technology. But I just couldn't believe it. So I was so flabbergasted. Um, I came home and thought I got the, the baby to finally have a nap and he had one of those, you know, the epic naps um, where he slept mm. for nearly three hours, which was atypical, the nap where you go in and you check that they're breathing and then you commando yeah. crawl out and check that he did one of those. And on that particular day I did two things because I was so horrified that we had a health professional giving out grossly factually incorrect information. So ironically I started a social media campaign about babies need laps, not apps. And mm, love that. experience, and the irony isn't lost on me that I shared it on social media. Um, but it went it went viral, and I started getting people re- replying to it. And at the same time, I thought because I had this big window of time where he was napping, I thought this is such an important topic. Parents are given such confusing and conflicting advice. And I knew as a researcher in this space that I was in a really sort of privileged position to have access to research-based information. I also know it's such a polarising topic. Um, You know, parents are... It really is, yeah. You know, I've seen sometimes on social media posts about screen time and it, it is something, you know, there's so many parts of parenting that are divisive that people have really strong philosophical opinions about. But screen time really is another one of those. It's right up there with, you know, breast and bottle feeding and Mm. (laughs) control crying and, and, uh, you know, other sleep mechanisms. And so I know um, what how difficult it is really for parents to navigate this. And I knew my experience with a healthcare professional, you know, she was giving out, you know, factually incorrect information. And I knew that parents um, were struggling with this. I'd had friends with older kids turning to me and saying, you know, how much time should they have? What should they be doing? How's it impacting their brains? And so the second thing I did in that nap time was start writing a book about um, how to navigate the digital world with your kids. Um, But based on research and science, I'm a a self-confessed nerd who loves diving into research and science but I take that and translate it into sort of practical realistic information that parents and educators and health professionals and also corporate clients need to know about how technology is impacting all of us because none of us are immune to the digital pull Um, you know whether you're an adult trying to stop the scroll before you go to sleep or dealing with your kids techno tantrums you know all of us are affected by this digital world. Yeah, absolutely. That is just, I'm sitting here kind of with my mouth just open going, wow. And it's, you know, on one hand, I think it's, you know, it's very fortunate that you were the parent that was given that advice at that Mm -hmm. time because it's, you've gone home and you've been able to make some massive changes from that. But had that advice been given, or I'm sure it was in fact given to other parents who perhaps, you know, I certainly can relate to being in the position as a first time mum of just taking everything Mm -hmm. that a healthcare nurse says as absolute gospel. So it's likely that a lot of parents after that checkup would have gone home and propped bub up at the ripe old age of six months in front of the iPad thinking that they were doing the right thing. It's yeah, so interesting. It is. And, you know, it's not just healthcare professionals. You go into a toy store now and so many toys are, you know, digital toys that are marketed and they prey on, you know, adults and particularly parents' desire to be the best parent, you know, give your child a head start and get them mm. tapping and coding and, and playing on these digital toys. And the research, this is what, you know, drives me, that the neuroscience tells us that young brains 
you know, actually can't make meaning from a screen until they're somewhere between 18 and 36 months. So your little one will probably try and turn their head and watch the TV. They might be interested in your smartphone, but they're not actually making meaning from it. Their brain is physiologically incapable of, of making meaning until they're somewhere between one and a half and three years of age. Yeah, so, and that's, that's something that I've always been really big on sharing is that the national guidelines are there for a reason and they actually state zero screen time under the age of two currently mm. and it's because it doesn't what a what a little one sees you know a youngster of that age group sees on a screen it doesn't compute for them they don't understand you know the example that we use in our program is on a tv screen if there's a scene where a ball is being thrown mm -hmm. it's broken down into the ball in the hand the ball in the air the ball where it lands it's not the fluid motion of real life necessarily that it's actually really good for a baby or a toddler brain to take in because it's so much better for them to be observing and learning these things in real life than it is from an edited digital screen Exactly. They actually call that the video deficit. So kids can eventually start to learn from a screen, but as you said, they will learn far more by dealing with real objects, so re a real ball or, you know, a, a, and also a real the human. The dimensions, yeah. Totally, yeah. yeah. And it's not just, so the brain is incapable of learning, but the other big thing and the reason we've got guidelines suggesting that we really minimise screen use in the early years is because of what we call the displacement effect or the opportunity cost. Every time a kid is on an iPad or a laptop or a TV is missed opportunity to meet their other developmental priorities. And so we're seeing that, you know, we've got huge issues in Australia at the moment with young kids that aren't getting sufficient sleep, that aren't being physically active, that aren't learning how to play and develop social skills because screen time is eroding those opportunities that they otherwise would have had. So mm. sort of a double yeah. whammy in that it's sense sure. but it's not to say that it's all bad like it's about how no. do we use it and I you know I said often say to parents this is not about saying you need to digitally amputate your kids because the reality is they're whether you love it or low that they're going to inherit a world that will have technology part of it but it's all about mm. how do we use it in healthy and helpful ways and minimize the potential harmful effects um, mm. which is what parents really want to hear but research-based information just not sort of hype and panic that we often get bombarded. Yeah, or, or just opinion or anecdotal yes. opinions, yeah. And, look, I can honestly both sides when it comes to the debate about whether or not, you know, the digital, the, the digital world we live in now is good for kids and toddlers to be exposed to because it is a tricky one to navigate for us as parents. And truthfully, I do agree with you, and I think the best thing that we can be is informed with those evidence-based Exactly. Um, research and also pair that with our own parenting intuition yes so in yeah. your opinion why do you think there has been such a digital pull as you like to call it well what we know is that techno there's a couple of reasons i think technology caters for our three most basic psychological drivers that we have as humans the second thing is that it preys on our some of our psychological vulnerabilities. And the third reason is that it causes changes in our brain. It sort of causes neurobiological changes. Mm -hmm. So if I go back to the first one, the reason that all of us, whether we're adults that can't stop the scroll or young kids that just want to watch one more YouTube episode, 
what's happening is that as humans, we have three basic psychological needs. The first one is our need for connection. We are hardwired for relational connection. And this is why for a lot of mums, social media has become so incredibly popular because we we want that connection. Like we are wired to belong and be part of groups and tribes. Um, and and so it really it, does. It really can provide that. And it can. And this is where we co- we've got to look at it in a bigger perspective. And it's not all doom and gloom. You know, for mums that are living in, you know, isolated areas or that have some additional mental health issues, then having access to your phone and a network, an online network, is a huge, incredible support. Um, but this is why, you know, young girls love social media. This is why boys are obsessed with multiplayer video games because they get to connect. Um, mm. So it satisfies that basic psychological need that we all have. The second yeah. need we have is the need to be competent. And in the online world, we get to be competent. You know, for adults, we post the highlight reel on social media. We can Google information and, and gain information, you know, instantaneously. Our kids get to feel competent because they can, um, you know, reach levels in a game or in an app. Um, and the third psychological driver we have is the need for control. And technology gives us, even if it's an artificial sense, that we're in control of what we're tapping, what we're swiping, what we're looking at next. It's perfect. And then it's is basically there any like, sorry, I was going to say, it's basically the perfect elixir. It really is. Addiction almost, isn't it? Well, it, it is. So when you look at those psychological drivers and say there are fundamental needs, all of us as humans have that, we can see why all of us, adults, kids, teenagers, have become, you know, obsessed with technology. The second reason I mentioned before is that technology um, preys on our psychological vulnerabilities. So the, the technologies that all of us use, one of the, the things that we struggle with um, it, it, the technology uses something called intermittent variable rewards. So we go into social media, say we go into Instagram and we see how many likes or comments we get. Instagram still do this, even though they've changed the way that likes are presented. Instagram deliberately withhold the likes and comments that you get at various intervals so mm. that you hooked into a cycle of going in because the minute you go in and you get like flooded with a whole lot of likes or comments your brain gives you an even bigger hit of dopamine which is that feel-good hormone so it gets us in this cycle of constantly checking in and And I've heard I've heard about this in another recent podcast sorry to cut you off no it was comparing that the time that you have to wait so you log in and then there's like a you know I don't know the exact time but a couple of milliseconds for your likes and your followers and your comments and whatnot to actually just be displayed as a notification is a similar amount of time that it takes for someone who is addicted to gambling to feel a rush when they're putting on a bet yeah and even you know the fact when we're in social media we pull down to refresh it's the same action as cranking the handle on a good old-fashioned poker machine. Okay, yes. So, you know, it's no accident. There's really deliberate ways that technology preys on our um, psychological vulnerabilities. So, you know, we we get those intermittent variable rewards. If we knew every time we went onto Instagram that there were going to be, you know, a set number of likes or comments, it would be nowhere near as appealing. But the fact that they're variable makes it um, you know, even more captivating and gets us hooked on this cycle of constantly checking. Um, you know, some other design techniques, the fact that our emails, the unread email notification is read is a psychological trigger that it's urgent and it's important. You know, I often say, would you feel compelled to check your inbox if it was, you know, baby pink or sky blue? Um, possibly mm-hmm. not. 
Um, and, you know, all these deliberate choices, the fact that autoplay is the default setting now in YouTube and Netflix, so one clip or one episode rolls into the next, forces us, um, and this is one of the reasons kids throw techno tantrums, is because we get into something that we call the state of insufficiency. So we never feel done. We never feel complete. There's always, you know, another thing we could look at or another episode we could watch. And so... The online world really is like a bottomless pit. There are no stopping cues. So these, all these techniques combine together. Um, and then the third thing I, I mentioned is that technology also causes neurobiological changes. You know, there's a thing called email apnea where we literally hold our breath when we go into our inboxes um, and dump a whole lot of cortisol and, and, and other responses like that. Um, our kids, when they're watching YouTube or watching Netflix or, or playing an app or a game, their brain's getting hits of dopamine and that dopamine um, stops the part of the brain that would manage their impulses, so that self-regulation part of the brain from working. Um, so there's a whole lot of, you know, deliberate techniques that make it really hard to stop there's, um, you know, even background music in a lot of kids' apps and games is very repetitive and hypnotic. And so that causes kids, a lot of parents talk about their kid becoming like a digital zombie. They almost, you know, tune yeah. out a device. And what's happening is they get into this, what we call the psychological state of flow, where they become so engrossed with what they're doing or watching that they literally lose track of time. So that's why they sort of look at you with their puppy dog eyes when you tell them it's time to turn it off. And they say, but I only just started or I've only, you know, I'm, I, I've only had it for a little while. When They've been well sucked into that vortex totally. of never-ending. Yeah. And we get like that too. Like I'll often say to myself, you know, I'm going to quickly check Instagram and before long I'm down the rabbit hole and I've been in there way longer um, mm. than I'd an anticipated. Um, and that's, again, a psychological weakness. We're terrible at humans. We call it bad forecasting skills. We often underestimate how long it's going to take us to do something. So all of these things combined mean that like, all of us are compelled and infatuated with technology. Um, and there's nothing wrong with it, really. <laughs> but it, it's just so interesting and so powerful to be informed, like you said, of just those basic human needs that we all need to be making sure we have met and if we're going digitally to have those met all the time yes. there are going to be you know repercussions and in particular for kids can you talk about any side effects that may come along if little ones are watching too much or having too much screen time and I guess we can touch on what screen time actually even means and all of that mm -hmm. stuff as well but do you see like the negative side effects other than the techno tantrums or are techno tantrums kind of, you know, the biggest problem for parents and kids? Look, there's no denying. I think in all the parent seminars I do, I ex ask parents who's endured the techno tantrum and, uh, you know, in most instances every parent puts their hand up. So this is an issue whether you've got three-year-olds or 13-year-olds, like there are reasons why it's so hard for them to turn it off. So there's definitely dealing with that, but there's a whole lot of other physical um, well-being and mental health issues that technology poses. Um, if kids are using technology um, excessively or inappropriately. Um, some of the, the health issues that we're seeing at the moment is that um, we're, there's been a really big increase in both young children and adolescents and even adults suffering from myopia, which is nearsightedness. And we thought that was attributed to looking at, you know, screens close distance. And what we now think it is, is a displacement effect that young kids in particular aren't 
getting enough vitamin D, so natural sunlight, to develop their um, myopic nerve. You, you need vitamin D so your myopic nerve lengthens, and a lot of kids aren't getting enough time outside. So kids need between 10 wow. and 15 hours a week of natural sunlight for that to happen. Um, that's one of the big issues. We um, are seeing um, teachers throughout the country. Um, I work with with parents and teachers throughout Australia in all sorts of areas, and teachers are seeing a really big um, decline in kids entering kindergarten with delayed social skills, um, delayed language skills, and fine motor skills. And anecdotally, a lot of teachers are saying they believe it's because of screens, that kids aren't getting the ping-pong interaction that they need with an, an adult or a caregiver. Um, and sometimes, and this is not about parent shaming, and I'm not professing to be perfect at this, but it's often parents that are digitally distracted that don't give their kids that uninterrupted, you know, serve and return interaction that they need. Um, another big issue, um, again, for young kids and adolescents is that screens are really affecting the quality and quantity of sleep. And I know this is something that you're passionate about yourself. Um, Definitely. But it's all of us. You know, it's affecting kids and it's the blue light effect, especially if kids are using these um, handheld devices in the 90 minutes before they have a nap or go to sleep. The blue light um, stops their body making the, the sleep hormone melatonin. So it, it takes them longer to fall asleep. And the second thing is that if they've got devices in their bedrooms, which many primary school kids and, and definitely secondary kids have, is that it impacts the quality of their sleep. Because if you're getting alerts and notifications, or even if you just wake up and it's on airplane mode, if you see your phone, it's often a psychological trigger to think, I wonder how many you know replies to that email I got or how many likes my post got. Um, and so it's affecting, instead of us going through the five stages of sleep each night and repeating it, if we get woken up by our device or if we just wake up and see it, when we go back to sleep, we start back at stage one. So we're not getting into the not deep being the restful. Sleep. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so that affects not only our well-being but also our productivity and our performance at work. So there's a whole lot. It's, it's sort of really intertwined, all of these um, negative effects on kids if they're using it, as I said, excessively um, or inappropriately. Okay, and so let's talk about what excessive and inappropriate use would be for little ones between, I would say, like three and six years of age, just if we zero in on that. Yep. But before we talk about that, what is your personal definition of screen time for you? Is it anything that has a screen from an iPad to a TV to a phone or do you sort of more lean towards going off screen time is an iPad? Yeah, so I stick to, sorry, I go back because I, I know this is a contentious topic. So I go back to what the Australian definition of screen time is. And screen time basically is any sort of digital screen-based activity. So it's the TV, it's iPads, it's iPhones, it's tablet devices, it's gaming consoles, it's the full gamut of digital devices. Yeah. But we know that watching TV is very different to playing an interactive game. And whilst we do, and in a moment I'll share with you what our current Australian government guidelines are regarding screen time, it's really hard to prescribe an exact amount of screen time based on a child's chronological age. Because if you've got multiple kids, you know, all kids have different tipping points. Um, and so some kids can have, you know, a particular dose of digital and it's fine, whereas other kids can have the exact same amount of time, but they come off it and they're dysregulated, you know. They're... They just have a higher sensitivity. Exactly. Um, so I'm really careful about prescribing a universal amount based on a, a child's age. I give parents a formula, which I'm happy to share with you um, as well. So 
going back to what the government guidelines are for uh, in Australia at the moment, as you said, for zero to two-year-olds, we recommend no screen time um, as, as best we can. For two to five-year-olds, the current recommendation is um, one hour of, of screen time a day. And for five to 12-year-olds, it's the recommended um, amount is two hours per day. Now, we know the research tells us that kids are getting way more than that. Um, a study a couple of years ago found in Australia that on average, preschoolers, so three to five-year-olds, are getting an average of 26 hours per week with no. screens. Yep. Wow. Primary school kids get an average of 32 hours and teenagers, this won't come as a surprise. <laughs> All the hours. Uh, well, 44 hours per week. And so yeah. that's where we look at, that's why I often say to parents, look at the displacement effect. Those 26 hours for preschoolers, there's 26 hours where they're not climbing trees, rolling down hills, um, building cubby houses, being creative, possibly not sleeping, not getting time out in natural sunlight. Yeah. So what I do, what, what I, I find an easier way for parents, because I know parents still sort of want like a rough indication, um, I say to parents, I use a formula and I say kids have seven basic needs and what we need to do as parents and caregivers is make sure that our kids' seven basic needs are met every day, every week, depends how we want to look at it, and then if their needs are met, we could fill up the other available time with screens and we wouldn't have to feel, I call it techno guilt, because our kids' basic developmental priorities have been met. But what's happening in many Australian households is that kids are having screen time and it's at the cost of their basic needs. So kids' basic needs, um, uh, they, they need relationships, um, they need to hear and use language, um, they need sleep, they need play, they need to physically move, they need to develop what we call executive function skills. So they're basically their higher order thinking smart skills and they need good quality nutrition. And we need to make sure that those seven basic needs um, are met. And if they are met, then outside of that, we could introduce screens and we wouldn't have to have all this panic and concern um, because the technology has been introduced after those needs have been met, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. So it's more making sure that the kids are getting exactly what they need and then they can have that little bit of entertainment or that bit of education through a tablet or exactly. some sort of screen and that's more the icing on the cake rather than the actual cake itself, which is nice. Totally. Love that analogy, especially if you're talking about cake. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's so true. It's getting um, close to lunchtime. <laughs> so, but you no, know, kids love eating the icing off the cake, so that's why... And this, is, and this is why we're having the conversation <laughs> because it's all well and good to go, all right, let's make sure all of those needs are met. But let's dig in a little bit and say, for example, there is a family who has two to three kids and they have just listened to this podcast and they've gone, holy moly, our kids are getting so much screen time. Mm. How do they, do you recommend more of a cold turkey approach or like how do you, I guess, wean kids off screen time that have been super exposed to it say for example they wake up and tv goes on first thing in the morning and then tv's on again after school and then they have ipads in the car and mm. all of those things and again it's not about parent shaming at all we all have our moments where it's like oh my gosh you know what i just need to do this to get through mm. but say that you know getting through mode has carried on now to being the everyday normal how would a family get that under control Yes. 
I'm going to say at the beginning, um, I live by Mayor Angelo saying, when you know better, you do better. And so, the, like you said, this is not about, you know, riddling parents with guilt and, and shame. It's funny that you say that because that's one of my all-time favourite quotes. Oh, and I love it. <laughs> a couple of years ago, Christy, I did a whole Snapchat series on TV and babies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I was sharing the national guidelines and the fact that we we committed to giving the boys no screen time under the age of two. And most of the feedback was really positive from our community, but someone else in the industry took what I said and made this big post about saying, you know, it's so so condescending of me to say, when you know better, you do better. And it's ABC kids. It's not cocaine for God's sakes and all these sorts of things. And it was just so misconstrued. It's not about saying, you're a bad parent if you use a screen. Mm. It's just saying, do you know the implications? Because mm. if you know the implications, like you said, then you can make more informed choices. Exactly. Exactly. And this is, I often say to parents, we are the very first generation of parents who are navigating this digital world with our kids. You know, most of us had analog childhoods where we stared at the sky, not at a screen. You know, the only Mm -hmm. digital dilemma that our parents faced was what television show we could watch. And they were usually scheduled at two times of the day. So we are making decisions that our parents never did. Um, We're trying to navigate this and we've got no frame of reference. You know, we can't ask even with slightly older kids unlike every other parenting conundrum you face you can't ask your parents you can't ask colleagues or friends how they've dealt with it because the technology is growing and changing so it's presenting new challenges and as you said we're, we're just trying to figure it out but using research-based information to make those choices mm. so when it comes to weaning the screen what I say to parents um, is I don't recommend going cold turkey. Um, What I suggest instead is making small incremental changes and crowding out the technology with other activities. Often kids like technology because it's giving them the hits of dopamine and adrenaline um, or it's fulfilling, as you said, a psychological need. You know, is it that they get to connect or that they get to unwind or what is it that it's, you know, is it escapism or avoidism? What is the psychological need that it's fulfilling? And then looking for other alternatives to crowd that activity out. The other thing I say to parents, depending on the age of the kids, um, if you've got little ones, it's not always as easy to do. But if they're older, giving them reasons for why you want to make the change. Um, I found as a mum with my kids, giving them facts and science and and reasons for our decisions gets a greater buy-in because it's really hard to argue with that. Um, So giving them the the reasoning behind your decisions. With little ones, um, definitely the crowding out. And what I also say to parents is I'm going to be honest and say that if you're going to make changes, particularly involving technology, it will get worse before it gets better. And so many parents start to make initial changes and they tell me, you know, the techno tantrums are intense. Kids become physically aggressive in some instances. The meltdowns are huge. Um, And so I just warn parents that it is likely to sort of erupt before it subsides again. But over time, and when I run parent seminars, my key message is that parents have to be the pilot, not the passenger of the digital plane. And as the pilot... You have to get through that meltdown. 
you do. You've got to put boundaries in place um, and make small what I suggest works better and what I have seen firsthand with other families is if you're going to make changes to the technology habits, make small incremental changes and eventually crowd out the undesirable technology habits with other activities. Um, I know for a lot of families, it's part of the morning routine. So coming up with an alternative. My boys love getting out, going down to the beach or going to the park um, if we can do it in the warmer months before school. And so we've crowded out, you know, opportunities for them to even have screen time if that's what they were craving. Um, often it, it's that dopamine hit. So physical activity can work really well because it gives kids the dopamine and the serotonin and all the positive neurotransmitters that their brain's wanting. Um, so just looking for appropriate ways um, and just being mindful that it will probably get ugly <laughs> before it gets better. Before it gets better. Yeah, and that's something I think we've spoken about in our forums as well because a lot of families do join our Toddler Life Forum and they have toddlers who have ha had a lot of screen time and they might want to make a change for whatever reason it is. And it's really about staying firm because if you're saying yeah. to your three-year-old, oh, like if you're not strong in your conviction, they're going to know. Whereas if you can commit to a couple of days of being really firm, you know, yes. if, even if it's setting a timer and when the timer goes off, okay, the yep. TV goes off and we move on and we do this activity. But if you find yourself like wavering, they know that. So it's totally standing firm and going, oh my gosh, I'm going to face yep. this storm head on and we'll get through it. Yeah. Um, it can make a big difference. But yeah. And we another, all know kids and their pester power is so powerful and the minute that you give in I say to parents if you've got your boundaries established you've communicated them to your kids and the minute you cave in and you say okay you can have a little bit more or okay just for today what you've told your child is that your no is not a hard no and they yeah. know okay all I've got to do is amp up the pester power and eventually mum or dad will cave in like if I just keep going and so it's just about having those firm boundaries as the pilot and and Having the boundaries is the easy bit. Sticking to them is the hard bit. Is the tricky bit. And I know even for my family, like we've just gone through a, a big change in our family dynamic. And there certainly were some mornings where I was relying, not relying, but I was allowing mm. the boys to watch TV more than they had in the mm -hmm. past. You know, it was never something that they'd had before school. And then once we kind of got through the, the tricky, hairy period, mm going okay this actually isn't a habit that I want moving forward so what can we do and it was as simple as moving some desks upstairs into mm -hmm. a space that don't normally have desks yeah setting them up with some wind-up chalk pens and some felt yep. pens and some different colored paper and, and scissors and all arts and crafts stuff mm -hmm. and so that's where they go now like yeah you know, for that half an hour window where I'm like okay guys mom actually has to get dressed now and get sorted you can sit at your craft table and get stuck Love into it, it. And it's that bit of connection because they sit together. Yeah. They can also come and show me what they've made. And it's such a positive outlet. But it's exactly what you've said. It's crowding out that yeah. old habit and replacing it with something else. Yeah. And the reason that they probably like it and that it's been successful and one of the reasons kids love technology is because it, and all of us do, is because it gives us a sense of novelty. The online world is always new and interesting and exciting, whereas the real world, the analog world is slow paced and it's a bit boring. And so what you've done by giving them a novel experience by using craft um, really caters for the brain's desire for that novelty. The other thing um, I was going to say there is I often recommend parents, I've got a template that I'm happy to share with people. It's called a board board. So B-O-R-E-D, 
B-O-A-R-D. And the idea is that when often our kids are using technology to escape from boredom, you know, I'm bored, I'll reach for the screen. And we don't want to set that habit up for our kids. Um, What we do is with the board board is you, I've got a whole lot of suggested activities that you print out and you laminate. And the idea is that when the kids are bored, you divert them to the board board and they get to pick what they do that's on the board. Um, So again, based on your kids' interests and age, you can have activities that are appropriate there. But the fact that they get choice is also appealing because again, goes back to that need where they think they're in control. And the fact that it's novel or new or interesting gives them that variety that they crave. So I love your craft idea. I think that's great and that's why you would have had success with that transition that you had to make. And I'm so glad that you brought up the topic of boredom because that was my next question (laughs) and because I wanted to ask like how important do you see cultivating boredom but not not even so much as in like I think the board board is an absolutely incredible resource but boredom Mm. in the moment of car trips or standing in line at the post office because I know for us we always opted like the boys are nearly six and they still don't have ipads Mm -hmm. um it's something that it's a continual conversation that we're having because we're trying to figure out whether to go down that path eventually but in the last you know nearly six years we've not given the boys a tablet or an ipad or our phones in the car or when we're waiting in lines and things like that and i personally have found that because we haven't done that, they're really, really good in the car. They're not looking for that stimulation. Mm-hmm. They they always sat in a double trolley and never once asked for a tablet because it, they didn't have that constant stimulation. You know, they can stand in the line at the post office with me without wanting a phone or something. So how important do you feel that it is to cultivate that skill of boredom in our kids? I'm going to suggest that it is possibly the most vital skill to thrive in the 21st century. Um, I work, yeah, and we didn't script this. <laughs> that sort of was no. such a natural segue. Um, whether we're talking about kids or adults, I do a lot of work with um, corporate clients and I even say to them, some really big, you know, Fortune 500 companies, our brains were never designed to be switched on processing information all of the time. We need to enter neuroscientists call it mind wandering mode or the default mode of thinking. We used to call it daydreaming, but none of us now adults, kids have moments of white space where we just sort of daydream and meander. And that is critical for our mental well-being, having opportunities and pockets of time where we just unwind and daydream. But it's also really important for their creativity and problem solving. Um, I don't know about you, but I tend to have my best ideas when I'm at the beach phone free or being on a plane trip with no Wi-Fi or woken up in the morning, you know, at three o'clock and an ID just drops. Um, And what we know is that 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 part of the brain, the frontal lobe of the brain is switched off and we just, we meander. And a study, a really interesting study was done a couple of years with adults and they put adults in a room and said, look, just sit there and be bored for 15 minutes. Now, I'm a mum whose kids still put their fingers under the toilet door. So the idea of sitting in a room <laughs> by myself sounds like bliss. But this study um, had to be ended prematurely because the adults that were involved in this study showed signs of psychological distress. They couldn't sit and be bored for 15 minutes. Wow. So it gets worse. The researchers went back to their ethics committee and said, look, we'd like to redesign this study and do iteration two. But instead of subjecting adults to the psychological distress of boredom, could we give them the option of self-administering an electric shock? And they got the all clear, (laughs) repeated the study. 
And what they found was that 69% of males, 24% of females gave themselves an electric shock in lieu of being bored for that 15-minute period. We have wow. literally art of being bored. And it's so vital for so, you know, for our well-being. Um, that's why I've just shared a post earlier today talking about why we've got to avoid using technology the first thing in the morning when we wake up. Um, you know, it, it activates our limbic system, which is the sort of fight or flight part of our brain. And so we start our day on a stressed state, whereas if we woke up and sort of gradually, you know, became conscious, as we tend to do, um, we would be in a much more positive um, state of mind and be able to approach the day in a better better way. Um, and so boredom is so important for our kids. Um, we've got to be so careful. They need to learn how to self-regulate, how to deal with big emotions. You know, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm bored, I'm tired. And if we bypass that by always giving them a screen, we're not teaching them the really critical self-regulation skills that they have. And I'm worried that we're seeing a generation of young people and teenagers who are self-soothing with digital devices rather than knowing how to process those big, hairy, you know, emotions that they need to learn to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's funny that you use the term daydreaming because I just recorded a podcast last night and one of the things I spoke about was the importance of daydreaming as adults because it's something that, you know, we all did when we were little. Mm. But as we get older, we lose touch with it. And I know for myself, totally. with everything that's been going on, for me, daydreaming is so important right now. Just giving myself little 10-minute windows throughout the day where I can let my mind wander yes. off into all of the possibilities. And it's something that is coming out in my parenting as well. Like when the boys will say I'm bored, I'll say that's good. It's a good thing yes. to be bored. It means you've got time. What do you want to do with your time? Do you like, you know, that's, that's yes. a great thing. And I just, you know, as I said, it's definitely not about parent shaming in mm. any way, shape or form because we're all doing our best. But I, one thing I'm really proud of is that we didn't give the screens when they were young for all of those things and even now and it has just made a really big difference they can come to a doctor's appointment and sit still and yeah. you know whereas I compare that to you know other family members or whoever it is it's just seeing other kids out and about mm. who need that phone in front of them they need that stimulation so mm. I think it's really really important what you said about it being one of the most important things to learn and not just for our kids but for us as parents and you mentioned that we as adults we struggle with our own digital infatuations and you know as someone who owns an online business and also um, works through social media on my phone I completely relate relate to that <laughs> um, you know I have my phone within reach most of the day and over the years, I've implemented strategy, strategies to try and modulate my own technology mm -hmm. use. For example, I have no notifications on my phone, really? so I don't get notified from Instagram, yeah. um, not from Snapchat, not from emails, not anything other than text messages. Um, and even then, I only get the name displayed, not the start of the message, because mm -hmm. I just want to go to it when I'm ready. I also log out of social media on a Friday and then I log back in on a Monday. And Brilliant. I did this because I, it was, I've been doing it for about a year now. And the reason that it came to me was 
I had a moment of realizing the kids are going to grow up in a world where they are going to have social media, whether it's mm-hmm. Instagram for their generation or whatever it is, but it's likely that they'll have a platform. And if someone's mean to them on that platform and they come to their mum and they say, mom, this person said this about me mm-hmm. or I'm being bullied. And I try and talk them through it and I try and minimize that for them and try to help them through that process. But they know that I'm forever on my phone and I'm forever looking at a screen. They're going to read between the lines and understand that the digital world is so important Mm -hmm. despite what I say to them. You know, Mm -hmm. don't worry about that faceless troll online, but if they see mum forever living in her phone, I'm putting so much weight in that world. And I just thought, yeah, I I don't want to do that. Mm. particularly with them going to school and weekends becoming even more sacred. I just thought, yeah, this is, this is not the message I want to send them. And that's been the best thing for me personally. (gasps) No, it's so important for so many reasons, as you've suggested for your own wellbeing. Um, But the other part of it and the part I think most parents recognize too, even though we cringe when we think about it, is it's the modelling, you know. We we can have firm boundaries around our kids' screen use, but if we're not being good digital role models ourselves, we know our kids always imitate our behaviours. And, in fact, in their brain there's something that we call mirror neurons. So our kids are hardwired to copy and imitate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's usually, I always say, it's always my partner's worst attributes that they imitate, never mind. Um, no. But- <laughs> They are literal, and that's why we've got to be so careful with how we use technology because we can say, you know, we've got to limit it. But if we're saying that from behind our phone, um, so I think it definitely helps in terms of helping our kids have really healthy technology habits. The other thing that it's really affecting is um, opportunities for connection. With our kids, we have what I call micro moments, you know, the little wink when they look at you and you wink back or they do, you know, the thumbs up. You know, I often say I'm one of the few mums at swimming lessons looking around for somebody else to talk to um, because you can spend hundreds of dollars on your kids learning how to swim and they finally nail the tumble turn and they come up and their cap's halfway off their head and their goggles are filled with water and they give you the thumbs up or the, the wink and you've possibly missed the moment because you're scrolling through your device. Yeah, um, and it's interesting, again, not adding to parental guilt or or shaming parents, but um, in my book I interviewed paediatric emergency department doctors um, because they're seeing a huge increase in children presenting to emergency departments with playground injuries. And they've got two theories. One of them is that kids aren't spending enough time at playgrounds and being outdoors and physically active, so they're not developing... Building those skills. Yeah, but the second reason... Um, that they have is parental digital distraction, that parents aren't supervising and kids are having more playground accidents because parents' attention is diverted to their um, screen. So, you know, it, it poses both emotional risks if we're not connecting with our kids at a personal relational level, but it also poses really significant um, physical risks. Physical, yeah. yeah. So fascinating, isn't it? Yes. So... We've been chatting for a little while now and I've really, really enjoyed everything that we've touched on. Before we finish up, did you have any last words of wisdom that you wanted to share in regards to just, I guess, managing managing the screen time? 
Yeah, I think I'd, I'd finish by saying technology isn't bad, you know, and it's not toxic and taboo. It's going to be, for all of us, an integral part of our lives moving forward. So what I want to do, whether I'm working with parents or educators or with um, employees and executives, is to say all of us, I want us to be in control of technology and not the other way around where technology controls us. Um, I believe technology is a great servant, but it shouldn't be our master. And so we have to put strategies in place. Um, and I just go back to as the pilot of the digital plane, um, whether you're a parent or an executive, you've got to have boundaries around what, when, where um, and how technology is used. You've got to make sure that the technology is not interfering with your basic needs and then you've got to make sure you still have opportunities to be bored so if you nail those three b's boundaries basic needs and boredom you're going to develop healthy habits and you're going to tame technology so that you're not a slave to the screen and i think that's what we all want you know we none of us you know i couldn't do my work i couldn't live without technology um, but I want to use it in a functional way and in a way that supports me um, and my kids and doesn't sort of harm us so it's doesn't take away yeah yeah. yes it's really really helpful information and I'm sure that it's going to spark a lot of conversations in different households um, (laughs) because it is it's just one of those topics that you know we're not always going to get it right but we can always try totally totally and I'm the first to admit you know I'm guilty of pushing the swing at the park and replying to a seven-day-old text message. You know, I'm I'm not perfect at this um, and I struggle as much as anybody else does with the digital pull. Um, but it's, it's just, just having an awareness. It is. And then putting strategies in place. You know, one of the best things I have found for me managing my technology use, and it's so simple but it works, is the old saying, out of sight, out of mind, like putting my phone in another room, turning it to silent so that I'm not sort of tempted to check it, Um, turning it to grayscale. I don't know if you've ever tried that, but going into your device, if you Google how to turn your phone to grayscale, it is nowhere near as psychologically appealing to scroll through Instagram when you're looking at things in um, black and white. I'm leaving it in the glove box in the car when you want to go to the park or the beach and not be disrupted by it. Um, just carving out those moments. Um, I love that because it's it's putting systems in place and I'm a big yeah. fan of systems. Yeah. Systems for optimising make the world yes. a difference. So if your system is to carry your phone in your hand around the house, you f- I was just going to say you yeah. <laughs> because you're just going to keep checking it. You're just, you're just going to continually check it and be responsive. Whereas totally. if your system is, okay, I leave my phone upstairs in the bedroom or my phone yep. goes in a drawer, then you're going to check it intentionally. Yeah. And having, you know, something as simple as a trigger, like a a, a chest of drawers or a kitchen counter, like have I call it a landing zone, having a specific spot where your devices go when you don't want to use them so that you're not tempted to to, um, reach for them is so simple but makes such a profound impact. Um, And even using the technology, you know, now I know a lot of people say, but, you know, what if there's an emergency? What if my boss needs me? You can set your phone to do not disturb mode, but you can even set rules now. So say you want to, say you're doing some important work and you don't want to be distracted by phone calls and messages and alerts and notifications, you can even set it up so that your children's school or preschool or your mother-in-law or your mother or your partner can still call you um, even when you're in that do not disturb mode. Or you can set your calendar up now so that 
if you're at swimming lessons or if you're at a school concert, that those, it will automatically make you un uncontactable during that time. So we can have boundaries so we can start to carve out time where we're sort of tech free if that's what we're wanting. And I also think just being realistic, like I remember sharing that I put my phone on flight mode when I'm getting ready for bed and I try and leave it on flight mode overnight. And I had so many people message and say, but what if there's an emergency? And mm. I thought it's never happened yet. And yeah. someone will knock on the door. Like someone will tell me. So true. Then, like it hasn't happened yet. And I think just playing that what if game of going, so what if there's an emergency? Well, someone will knock on the door and I'll answer the, like you play it out mm. in your head and you realize it, that you don't need to go down the path of making everything a catastrophe. Um, totally. You know, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is. And we've been tricked. I think all of us sort of got sucked into the digital world really quickly and, you know, adopted it, you know, voraciously. And now I think we're just at that point where we're starting to question just how tethered to technology we are and just what an integral role is. And, you know, unless you're a brain surgeon or unless you are performing a task where you do need to be contactable 24-7, most of us don't. Yet we've been yeah. tricked into thinking that we do. And that's one, again, a clever technique that technology does. Every time we get an alert or a notification, it tricks us into thinking that it's both urgent and important. And it's not, like in most instances. Um, so that's another thing I've done. You know, I, I before we got on this podcast interview, I just thought I'm going to carve out, I've got five minutes, I'm going to carve out some time to check some WhatsApp groups I'm part of for my kids. I checked them yesterday afternoon. I have 55 notifications. Oh, my gosh. To check. But if I had let those 55 divert my attention between yesterday afternoon and now, um, I can see how fractured my attention would have been. So it's about batching, going in at set times and saying, right, I'm going to dedicate the next 10 minutes to this rather than sort of nibbling on those distractions throughout the day. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much oh. for sharing your wisdom. Um, where can people find you? So my digital home is at um, drchristygoodwin.com and it's just dr. Um, and we, I'm sure we can provide a link because Christy is spelt in so many different ways. Yeah, um, it's with a K. With a K, K and a Y. <laughs> K and a Y. I can pop that in the show notes. Um, and I'll also pop up some stories with your Instagram handle as well when this podcast awesome. is live. I know as well you also have a really cool parenting resource. Did you want to quickly tell us about that as well before we jump off? Yeah, so I do a lot of um, in-person seminars throughout the country and I know for parents sometimes coming to an actual seminar is really tricky to coordinate the babysitter or your partner home. Um, so I have developed something called the Switched On Parents Portal. So it is, a, um, ironically, an online library um, where parents can go. So I've had some of my seminars professionally recorded. I've got little masterclasses and videos and PDF cheat sheets on a whole range of issues um, for parents trying to navigate the digital world with their kids. So I'm sure we can provide a link to that and a, um, a discount code. I've also got a product for adults called um, Taming Your Tech Habits, all about helping us as adults manage technology in ways that is helpful and not harmful. So again, I can I send through a, a link to a, a discount code so we can all be better role models. <laughs> Ourselves. That would be awesome. I think, as we've said, when you know better, you do better. And just having a bit of awareness and some systems in place, you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but it can make a big difference. Totally. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was so enjoyable.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 